Second week in the church calendar of Advent, for those of you who diligently follow the church calendar, which I know is all of you. Um, And the Christmas season, I don't know for you, but for some, it comes with a lot of expectations. There are family expectations, and for those of you who have multiple family on multiple sides, there's like multiple sets of expectations that kind of get thrown at you during the Christmas season. There are traditions, and with traditions bring kind of this sense of expectations. And then um, buying gifts. Some people love it. Who's a I love a gift buyer person? Amazing. Other people are like, it's so much expectation, right? To try and figure out what it is that this person likes, and then do they like it, and then you give it, and you're like, oh, I hope you like it. It's like this awkward um, feeling. For me, I'm just like self-disclosure here, that it's not always my favorite thing. It kind of gives me like low-grade anxiety, which is a little weird. But I'm like, I just don't know. And sometimes I just want to tell people, don't buy me a gift. And the real reason is like, I don't want to have like the expectations of what it means to buy you a gift. So let's just call it good. Clearly, I am really into the season of um, Christmas gift giving. But it feels like this pressure, this pressure and expectations. And so I want to change that word a little when we think about this season. Um, Because the season is intended to be a time of expectancy. Like, and to me, expectancy um, feels different than expectation. And the biblical story itself points to the expectancy that accompanied Jesus' coming into the world. There was an expectancy that came with Jesus. And like we said last week, we're beginning in these Psalms of Ascent. And we're going to be working through them during um, the month of December. And the Psalms, these Psalms of Ascent, are full of expectancy as the people made their way up to the temple. The Psalms of Ascent are these prayers as the people journey up to Jerusalem. And the expectancy was the expectancy of meeting with God in the temple, that his presence would encounter them there. And so they had that expectancy that he would be there to meet them. And it parallels this season of Advent, these Psalms, because in this season comes our own expectancy of encountering God in Jesus. That's the expectance that we have as we near kind of December 24th. It's the expecting Jesus and the encountering of God in Jesus. And so as we come here to this place this morning and around this table and as we share and belong to each other as these people who are exploring or following Jesus, we come here to be reoriented, to be released maybe a little bit, released from expectations and the pressure of the season and to be called into expectancy. That's why we come here. And so I'm just going to read the beginning of this psalm that Ken read for us already, just one to three. 
this expectancy. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. And they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. and We are glad. Psalm 126 was written sometime after Israel's return from exile in Babylon. So it's this beautiful moment in some ways in the history of Israel. For 70 years, the people had lived in exile, away from their home, away from their sense of belonging. Now they've had this opportunity to return under the Persian Empire, and they're restoring the temple, they're repairing the the walls that are around Jerusalem, and they're just kind of rebuilding their lives. And this is this moment when this psalm is penned. And I like this psalm because you can feel the experience in the words as you hear them, right? These vivid words. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who were in a dream, right? What happens when you're in a dream? It's like surreal. It's like something that isn't even happening. It's kind of this suspension of an imagination. It's just... Wow, is this really happening? Let me rub my eyes. Good morning, me. Good morning, Israel. And then they like slowly, the reality sets in and their mouths are filled with laughter. Like what an amazing thing to say. Who says that? Today, my mouth was filled with laughter. Like, but it's this vivid imagery. It's like you can't even contain it. It's filled with laughter and it's just like bursting out of you. My mother always makes fun of how loudly I laugh, but it's like this feeling of like there's so much good going on that our mouths are just filled with laughter. And it says, now all the world can see that God does good things. God has done great things. And he repeats it. God has done great things and then... They make this proclamation, what are we? Let's all say it together. We are glad. Or not, let's not say it together. (laughs) We are glad, says the psalmist. I spent the weekend in Phoenix, and um, my friend just finished up her PhD, and she was at a, she was presenting at a disability advocacy conference. Um, And so I decided to go and be with her while she was presenting this um, research that she'd done while she was working on her PhD. And we were chatting with one of her professors over dinner, and then after dinner we went out, we could hear this music, there was this live music playing in this huge common area that was beautiful, and like tons of people there, and this live music, and so we decided to sit and listen to the music for a little bit, and then on the screen beside us was the Utes game and the Oregon game. Moment of silence. I'm sorry to bring up sad things. But that's what was happening. We were watching, we weren't watching, we were listening to music, and then the screen was behind us, but there was this man who was sitting opposite us, this man with Down syndrome. And um, he was watching the game, and intermittently he would just give us the, what's going on, you know? Like, telling us about the game, and that was this, and that was that, and it was very, like, it was being narrated by him. 
So it's towards the end of the game, and um, the game ends. And the dude stands up, like, in the middle of this huge crowd, and he just starts, like, throwing his arms in the air, and he's like, Utah won! Utah won! Yeah! And he's just literally, like, going crazy, so excited. And so my friend, because he's pretty close to us, my friend who is um, sitting next to me, and she looks at him, and she's like, Oregon won. And then he just looks at us, and he's like, Oregon won! Oregon won! And we're like, this is fantastic. Right? Pure joy just over the winning. Like, just somebody won, and we need to be excited about it. Like, up in front of all of these people, this dude singing live music, and here's this guy just getting real excited about the winning. <clears throat> he was exuberant, and he was not holding back. It was marvelous. It was a marvelous thing to be in proximity to. And my friend, I was talking to her after, and she's like, I wondered if he might be sad when I told him that Oregon won but he wasn't at all. And it's how I see this moment. These people are glad. And they're not holding back about it. They're just flailing about and there's laughter in their mouths. Just like that man with Down syndrome, like couldn't contain his exuberance. Like that's what this first portion of this psalm is depicting for us. But then something happens. Let's read it. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing the sheaves with him. They ask him to restore. You're like, what? Literally, they've just said that God has restored. And then they say, won't you restore? And so it's like we find ourselves in this psalm in the middle of a contradiction. They're glad, and now they're not glad anymore. Right? And it's a contradiction, but it's really true to the human experience. We're glad, and we're just... We're not glad anymore. We're glad, then we're not glad anymore. We're glad, then we're not glad anymore. Israel is home. They've been rescued from their life in Babylon, but not everything is right. They have no king and they're ruled by a foreign nation and in many ways their national identity has been lost. The temple is being rebuilt but it doesn't feel as grand as it once was. It feels different. And they're left with these deep questions about themselves and they're left with these deep questions about God and they're left with questions about their future. And the people have come home, and on one hand, they are celebrating their restoration. And on the other hand, everything is not as it needs to be or should be. And so it's confusing and it's uncertain. 
and what are they to do? And the imagery here that is painted for us in the psalm is the imagery of hope. So we go from this glad moment to this not-so-glad moment, and there comes this declaration out of them to restore. Restore like streams in the Negev. And the Negev was a region in South Judea. And in different seasons, the water would come running through it. In seasons of drought and rain, and seasonally the streams would come and fill the dry spaces, and the rain would bring life, and abundance would come as the river ran through the Negev and into these deserty waste kind of areas. When the streams came, then the life would come in that wasteland. And so the imagery is that they, these people, would be the, like that land that would burst forth with life when the streams came into them. It's imagery of hope that something would change the landscape and bring forth life. And it also says that they're sowing in tears, but they want to reap with joy. That they're weeping and they're sending out this seed, but one day, one day, says Hope, they will come back with shouts of joy and they'll carry kind of all the harvest with them that those seeds planted have now produced. And instead of weeping will come this declaration, this shout of joy. And so these images here in this psalm are uncovering hope the hope of goodness, the hope of restoration, the hope of renewal in their midst. And there's there's a rhythm in this imagery, if you listen to it and if you watch it, of sowing and reaping, of joy and sorrow. And the psalm holds these two things together, of sorrow and joy, of, of, of sowing and of reaping. And it's not simply in this psalm that it's the tension that's important, it's the overlap. It's the overlap between sowing and reaping. It's the overlap between sorrow and joy. There's an expectation that something can be born in the twilight. I was up really early this morning and it's kind of that not quite light time, but it's not dark anymore, it's the twilight. I feel like that's what these people are pointing to. that there's an expectancy that can come out of us in the twilight between the night and the day, between sorrow and between joy, between planting and harvesting, that there is an expectation that we should be awake to. And the reason? Because God's work is happening there. God's work is happening in that in-between time. And the psalmist and the people of Israel are calling us in the unknown places to wait with a song. And that song is a song of hope. And hope is really poignant in the story of Advent. There is overlap in the story of Advent 
between sorrow and joy. Twilight is exactly what Advent is. When we read the Gospels, the Gospel stories that tell us specifically about Jesus' birth, we hear it as vividly as we hear it in this psalm. There's discomfort of pregnancy. Any woman in here who has been pregnant would attest to the discomfort of pregnancy. And then there's a long journey on a donkey. And then there's nowhere to stay. And then there's pain in the birth. And so the joy of this child being born is mixed with an uncertain journey and the pain of childbirth. And then Jesus, he's born and hailed as king. And we know that in the story because who visits him? These, the magi, this heavenly host visits him. And these kings, they come in and they bring these gifts and it's this picture of here is this one Jesus, born a king. And at the same time, he's hunted by a king, Herod. And so you have the joy of life and the promise that comes with the arrival of this king and it is mixed with fear and the killing of children. Because out of Herod's fear, he tries to kill the baby Jesus. And in so doing, he actually kills other children. And so the joy of life and promise is mixed with sorrow. And as soon as he's born, the family flees to Egypt. And so you have this joy of a new life that is born, and yet it's mixed with sorrow of separation. They leave what is known and what is familiar, and they flee to Egypt to find safety. And so there's this joy of new life with the sorrow of separation. And in this, similar to this psalm, where this juxtaposition, where there's this contradiction or this seeming contradiction, even as it points to expectation and Jesus, we step into the narrative that is the Jesus story and there is seeming contradiction there too. But Advent, like the Psalm of Ascent, holds that tension together, holds both of those things together. And it's this picture to show us that we would be attuned to the fact that God's work is happening there. God's work is happening there in the uncertainty and in the confusion and in the pain. That God's work is sustained in the overlap, the overlap of sorrow and joy, the overlap of Sowing and reaping. God's work is sustained there. And in actual fact, he enters into it with us. And so the invitation to God's people in these places of complexity is through this psalm and through this story is into hope and expectancy 
The psalm was written in a time of uncertainty and waiting. The first advent came with a time of uncertainty and waiting. And now here we are, Salt Lake City. In the midst of our own kinds of uncertainty and waiting. We can't escape it. It's what it means to be human. What did they do? What are we to do? The psalm calls us to hope. Just as the season of Advent calls us to hope. And traditionally, in wreaths that are all around the world, there are these four candles that surround what is known as the Christ candle. And one of those candles is representative of, of hope. The burning light of hope. And let's be clear that hope isn't about positivity. The story of this text and the story of Jesus is about being expectant. It's not about positivity. That is not the quality of hope. The quality of hope is about expectancy. Expecting what is deep and rich. Expecting restoration. Expecting for light to move in and emerge in the darkness or in the gray fog or twilight. That's hope. And hope can't be reduced to words like happy because expectancy is about waiting. And let's be real, waiting can be a challenge, right? Waiting for something means living with uncertainty. And even waiting for something good can be challenging. It usually is. Last night I was with my friends who are in Phoenix before I flew home um, later in the evening and their grandparents were there when I got there and we were having coffee and then the grandparents got taken back to the hotel and one of the little boys was like, Dad, can I go with you to take Grandma and Grandpa back to the hotel? And Dad was like, of course. So James went with him and then um, they came back, you know, about 10 minutes later and James walked in and he's all, Grandma and Grandpa sent Christmas presents. So in they walk with these hands, you know, full of Christmas presents. And the little girl who was there was like, oh, really? Wow. Christmas presents from the grandparents. And then the little boy looks at the other two siblings and he's like, can't have them till Christmas. And then there's like this collective silence as they stand there and look at the presents. Can't have them till Christmas. A lot of waiting around until Christmas, looking at these gifts. I can remember when I was with my brother and we'd go under the tree and, you know, you do the little shaky shake or you do the squeezy squeeze, you know? It's kind of waiting, but you're like, oh, I might get a little sense of what's in here. And then we'd like guess for each other. Like, okay, this is yours, Kyle. I think this is what this is. And then he'd be like, is what I think yours is. You know? Even when you know the waiting leads to something good, it still prods at you. 
you're waiting, don't know what's in there, have a guess. And the circumstances of waiting can shift the experience of uncertainty, depending on what we're waiting for. And so when you're waiting for a baby to be born, you're expectant. And the mother waits, the expectant mother waits very differently than the father. It's a different experience of waiting, even though it's waiting for the same reality to emerge. And you're waiting for those exam results. Right? You might be dependent on how much you studied is what the waiting period feels like. But when you're waiting for a restored relationship after many, many years of silence, or you're waiting for news from the doctor, right? The circumstances of waiting can shift the experience of the uncertainty. And in the waiting, no matter what it is that we're waiting for, it kind of creates this mild unrest, a dissonance. And it keeps you alert. You can't forget about it. As a kid, you just can't forget about those gifts that are either hidden or underneath the tree. You can't forget about the fact that you're about to have a child. You can't forget about the fact that you're awaiting a call from a doctor. Or You can't forget about the fact that at some point you'll look on the computer and find your results. It's this thing that you just can't forget about. And because of that, it drives, it drives towards something. Knowing that something new is going to happen or, or there's going to be some kind of change or something will be different. The inevitability of it. And this season is a season of waiting. And it's in small, as we count down the days towards Christmas, whether you have a little calendar that you open up and eat your chocolates, or whether you have a different tradition that counts down the days towards celebrating the birth of Jesus. But what it actually does this season is points for us to the deeper waiting. It kind of summons us to enter into an extended expectation of God's newness despite the uncertainty and confusion. We're going to live with the unknowns. And the invitation in that is to trust that God is at work. As we face our own unknowns and uncertainty, or we look out into the world and see the unknowns and uncertainty, the psalm and the season calls us to be honest with the contradictions of joy and sorrow, of love and fear and of noise and silence, and of confusion and certainty and to not rush through. To not rush through. To slow. And in the slowness, Letting the uncertainty, letting the waiting, and the unrest keep us alert. To drive us towards something, towards something new.
towards something different. To drive us to an expectancy. An expectancy that is rooted in hope. The hope of the ongoing work of Jesus in our midst. That's the call of Advent. Is that we would be rooted in the hope of Christ's ongoing work in our midst, even in the uncertainty, even in the waiting. And so I have questions for you as we close before you come to this table. You can leave your eyes open as I ask them or you can close them. Where do you need renewed hope? Where do you need to give up expectations for expectancy? Where do you need permission to live in the twilight? In the overlap between sorrow and joy? Where do you need Jesus? Ask you one more time. Where do you need renewed hope? Where do you need to give up expectations for expectancy? Where do you need permission to live in the twilight? In the overlap between sorrow and joy? Where do you need Jesus? Let's pray. Jesus, it's hard to wait. Where we feel glad and then we don't feel glad. Where we feel joy and then once again we feel sorrow. where we feel uncertainty, where we feel confusion, when we don't know what the outcome is, it's hard to wait. It's hard to hope. And yet this season calls us into a story, the story of Israel that waited and anticipated you and you came. He came even with that overlap. And it's a story that calls us into expecting you, having a sense of expectation that you will enter into the overlap now. And so I pray, Holy Spirit, that we would be a people who know 
where we need renewed hope and that we would ask for it the same way that these people did in this psalm. That, Lord, we would be a people who give up expectations and instead turn towards you with a sense of expectancy, even though we might not know what it is that you would do or say or how you would meet us in the spaces that we find ourselves in. Lord, I pray that we'd give ourselves permission to live in the overlap between sorrow and joy and that ultimately we would acknowledge where we need you and that we would rest on the promise that by your spirit you show up for us and to us in the provision of your people through prayer at this table, in quiet moments, in busy moments, that there are things that you call us into that will provide for us a sense of expectation and hope that you will restore and that you will bring life. And that in those moments when you do, Lord, let us be like that man where our hearts resound in gladness. In moments where we don't have it, give us a hope and a sense of attuning to where your presence is. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.